Hi, my name is Rich Nadwarney, and welcome to Innovation Explorers, Hello Future's English podcast that dives into the challenges and rewards of innovation. Each episode, we talk with people on the front lines of innovation and change work as they share their unique perspectives on some of the most common issues we face. This podcast is primarily for those of you working in large and mid-sized organizations who want to get your change and innovation initiatives moving faster, better, and with more internal alignment. In this episode, we're speaking with Daniel Stillman, designer, facilitation expert, and author of the book, Good Talk. Daniel talks with us about the need to intentionally design our meetings and conversations. We spend a lot of time talking with each other. Studies have shown that the average worker spends five hours per week in meetings, while managers spend between 12 to 14 hours in meetings per week. It's estimated that these inefficient meetings result in a productivity loss as high as $37 billion per year. Conversations may seem like mushy, fluid things, but conversations do have a structure. Daniel shares with us his thoughts on the Conversation OS operating system and how leadership is the art of designing the conditions for a transformative conversation. Welcome, Daniel Stillman, to Innovation Explorers. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me, Rich. It's nice to catch up. So, Daniel, you've written a book called (laughs) Good Talk, How to Design Conversation That Matter. Yeah, I did do that. (laughs) Why why did you do it? Yeah, anybody listening in who's thinking about writing a book, I would say to you, just think twice. (laughs) It's a much longer, um, more emotionally challenging process than I think most people let on. Um, And it's, it's it's a thing. Like I had a, I had a writing coach because I'm not a professional writer and, and writing a book. Well, writing a proposal for a book is like a whole thing, right? Writing a proposal so that a publisher can go, Hmm, no, thanks. Or, Oh, maybe that whole, that whole process. And then turning what's in your brain and in your, your heart into a book. It's like this whole long drawn out process. And with the book about conversations that matter, I had had this, thesis that we are designing conversations and that we can, you know, design them better. And I had these nine elements in the conversation operating system, but I knew more about some of them than others. So some chapters were much harder than others, like power. I actually don't know a lot about power. I know that it's an important factor in conversations, but you know, the conversations about power were more challenging for me. Um, I, so yeah, I, I did write the book. <laughs> if you're listening, think twice and it's going to take longer and be harder than you, than you, than you want it to be. Just All so. right. So first piece of advice is maybe not write a book. It's no, no, I mean, I write just, it, write it, but yeah. just go into it with your eyes open. Right. I think okay. people are like, oh, I'll write a book. This would be great. I'll just pound out some words. It's like, eh, there's, there's a whole, it's a whole journey. So not just repurposing all of your blog posts into some. I definitely think book. people do that, but no, I, I I did not have the ability to do that. I I started from scratch. It's crazy pants. So why conversations? Of all the things you could write about, why did you decide to write about conversations? Yeah, I mean, when I so I went to design school. I studied industrial design, and when I got out of design school, uh, this whole all, all these other layers of design appeared to me. Uh, very quickly, nobody pointed out to me that in design school, that industrial design had had its heyday in the 50s uh, <laughs> and that there was all these other types of design, specifically interaction design, which I wasn't taught about at all in design school. And the design firm that I was working at was like, you know, we're designing all these physical products and they're basically getting thinner and they're disappearing. And somebody else is designing what where the action is really happening the the screen and I, and they and it in a way it was a mystery to all of us and so they sent me off on a mission of like can you learn about what interaction design is so that we can you know instead of just designing the tv we can design the tv interface instead of just designing the printer we can design the printer interface so i was working in this 
world between physical and digital product interfaces and learning what interaction design was and the ways in which it was similar to industrial design and the ways in which it was different. And then a couple of years later, people were like, well, actually we're designing experiences. And somebody else then said, no, 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 we are designing services. And every wave of design that came through my psychology did change how I saw things. Interesting. Certainly when, yeah. Uh, when you when you start to see things as services instead of products, it really changes how you how you design. And one thing that I was not taught in design school was stakeholder management. I was not taught how to get a group of people together to have an important conversation. And I remember the first like collaborative workshop I saw someone run. Um, it was my friend Ju Young. She did a word like a sticker collage, photograph collage exercise where she had everyone talk about what is my ideal experience for this product, service or experience, and what is not. And I saw her do this exercise and I was like, this is really cool. This is a great way to get inside people's heads and get them to express what's going on, to have a really, really powerful conversation about what this thing that we're making should be. And this is the kind of, these are the kind of challenging conversations that happen when a team from a company is working with an agency or inside of a company saying like, you know, we need to change this, how? And I remember saying to my boss, we were having this big meeting where all of the stakeholders from one of clients were coming in and, you know, the engineers, the marketers, the designers, business folks, and to have one of these really important conversations. And I was like, I have an idea. And I tried to explain it to him. He didn't quite get it because I had just experienced it. And I, and I've seen this thing sort of happen over and over again. I said, look, please just trust me. It's going to be cool. And I ran the always never is, isn't word cloud sticker. I printed all these stickers sheets. I gave everyone a sticker sheet and say, okay, your, your ideal experience for this is this and isn't that. And I remember the conversation, I mean, God, this is almost 15, 16 years ago now, but I remember the conversation where one of the engineers had put uh, magical on the isn't side. And one of the marketers uh, had put magical on the is side. They wanted this product to feel magical. And the engineers were like, it should not feel magical. And so then we got to have this conversation about, well, what does magical mean? And for the engineer, magical meant it wasn't scientific and efficacious. They were. This was a, a glo- this was a really big company that prided themselves on the scientific basis of the products that they created, and the engineer did not want people to think it was magical. Mm-hmm. He wanted them to think that it was safe and efficacious and based in research. And the marketer was like, "No, I want people to feel like uh, they don't really need to." think too hard about how it works, that it's elegant. And that conversation is like, whoa, that was a really great conversation. And we wouldn't have gotten to it unless we had designed a process to get us there. And so I didn't call that conversation design. I didn't hear those two words put together until uh, 2015 when I met a group that called their facilitative practice conversation design. But in that moment, I was like, wow, getting people together to have an important discussion is clearly valuable. And I think that's when I started my journey in loving the workshop as a form of art. It's interesting. You're bringing up an example of this this disagreement, really, as a conversation starter, which I think is just incredibly mm, fascinating. Yeah. We see that a lot. Yeah. I also recognize this the the journey. My journey was from film one way communication to this digital, which was two way, and two way was always this conversation. Yeah. And then you were trying. We kept trying. That meant it was like new. We hadn't done this before. And social media, the age of conversation, the discussions were: how do you get people to do something new that they don't really are comfortable with? And yeah. I, I think you you have a quote in this. You know, leadership is the art of the designing the conditions for a transformative conversation. Yeah. You know, so it's a leader as designer and leader as conversationalist. Yeah. I think these are really interesting concepts. 
And you also talk about, right, we spend a lot of time talking with other people. You have a uh, most of our time. A statistic, statistic, right? Five Average workers, five hours a week. Managers are in meetings 12 to 14 hours a week. That's a well, these lot were all pre-pandemic statistics right. as well. <laughs> you know, and you have like the, you have a productivity loss as high as 37 billion. I remember in one yeah. agency, every time we had a big meeting, the, the owner would come in and say, do you know how much this is costing? You know, how many people yeah. are in this meeting? Do we need yes. that? But it's this idea that we spend a lot of time talking with other people. Yes. But we're but we don't really pay attention to what's happening in those conversations. No, and, often. and we aren't getting what we need out of them. And and I think look, I'm a I'm a design true believer still. Like I, I remember years and years ago I went to see a John John Maida talk and you basically take a snapshot of a person walking down the city street and you're like, everything here is designed. Behind you. Behind me, everything is designed. You know, these plants, you're like, those are natural. Like, mm, actually, we've been breeding them for like hundreds and thousands, tens of thousands of years. Broccoli is not that natural. We made broccoli from wild mustard seed, right? Everything around us is designed. And people are like, well, my conversations aren't designed. I'm like, yeah, they are. The room has been designed. The form, the formats have been designed. Like, why are one-on-ones 30 minutes? Like that just seems to be the standard operating. Like, well, you know, they're 30 minute meetings. I'm like, I don't think you're getting what you need to out of those 30 minute meetings. A, because you're not going in with a good design. B, you're not giving it the space and time it needs on all hands. You talk about one to one, one to many versus bi-directional. My wife always comes home and she's like, you know, we had this learning day and instead of like us getting to talk to each other about what we're learning, they just talk to us. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that's bad conversation design, honey. And it comes down to the person who has decided to lead the conversation. And are they willing to open up for a many to many conversation? It's riskier. It's scarier. It's, it requires skill. And so either we're going to, run on an old, I mean, the 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 metaphor I use in the book is, are we running an old operating system or are we going to use a new operating system? Yeah, you're right. I, I love this quote. Conversations can seem like mushy, fluid things. Yes. But conversations do have a structure if you slow down. And I love this. We yeah. talk a lot about this pod, about slow innovation. We need to kind of yeah. slow things down. And you you bring some of these things up, the intentionality of it, mm -hmm. right? What mm -hmm. do we need from this? The agency of it, we can yes. actually make the changes. You know, they aren't just happening to us. We are we are participating in that in a way. And when we're designing these terrible meetings, in some way, it's our fault. Yeah. So well, you, yeah. you also write, wait, one more quote, and then you can oh, talk. Yeah, please. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> just like a person can't get what they don't ask for, an organization can't do what it can't talk about, right? We yeah. avoid this uncomfortability. So. This idea of intentionality and agency and uncomfortability. Mm. How do we kind of get through that? I first of all, I love that those lit you up and resonated with you, Rich. And and I want everyone to realize that we are all co-designing our conversations all the time. And that means that even if you are not the official leader of a conversation, you can speak up. I mean, obviously, when we're on Zoom now, we have the capacity to uh, ha to mute people and to, they cannot unmute themselves, right? But you can raise your hand. You can wave your hands. You can put something in the chat. You can ask questions. And this is the art of invitation. So one of the elements of the conversation operating system that is most um, ephemeral but deeply essential is the art of invitation, to invite people into a conversation, the ability to say, hey, what would it be like if we had some time to talk to each other? Or to say, I'm not quite ready to move on to the next step, or this isn't working for me. So anybody in the conversation can do the emotional labor. It is indeed emotional labor. Anybody can speak up and attempt to lead the conversation in a transformational direction. That said, the person with uh, authority and quote unquote legitimate power and positional power can shape and invite the conversation in a different way because they're, they've taken that or they've been given that power, but um, everyone has the power to say, no, I don't want to do that. 
That's what, that's what I call negative power. Everyone has negative power. <laughs> it's very hard to get an anarchist to do anything, um, but it's risky. So yeah, I think this idea of conversational leadership, the ability to create the conditions for a transformational conversation is something we can all, we are all imbued with that power. You know, so we can say, hey, what the hell are you doing? Or you can say, hey, this doesn't feel great for me. Can we talk about what might be more appropriate based on what we're trying to create? That is two ways to design a conversation. Now, hey, speaking up harshly and loudly and immediately is maybe the best way to wake everyone up and get people to pay attention and to bring people into a new place. I'm not here to tell anybody exactly how to design their conversations, given their context. Um, but it's everyone's job who's listening in. Like you are either um, being programmed or you're programming, right? I forget the guy who said that. It's like in in this world of technology, we're all being programmed or we're programming. And with conversational leadership and conversation design, we're either participating in old, habitual, hackneyed, ineffective conversation designs, or we are speaking up to redesign them or co-design them. It's a great point about power. You know, I yeah. love it. it's such a such a loaded word, right? Power doesn't mean that you get to decide everything to be right. If you're designing a good conversation, power might be that you enable people in the same way as reacting. Power doesn't mean that you yell at someone that you don't agree with. Power might be that you open up and say you're uncomfortable. It's reminding me yeah. we had at an old agency we had a we had a meeting consultant come in. My my former boss loved to bring in these crazy consultants, and one of the things he did, which was cool for a little while was he had this little thing we did. If we were in a meeting and we stopped paying attention, you had to raise your hand and say, I'm out. And so then, <laughs> right? and so then the, the conversation had to slow down and bring everyone in. And if you did that two times, you, you had to leave the meeting because oh, wow. you obviously weren't paying attention. And so we did that for a while and then everyone left the meeting. So we had, that didn't really work. But it was this whole idea of oh. he was trying to get agency to give us focus. Now, that's you a way to design a, the conversation, right? right. It, um, it, it was it was a little bit of an aggressive, you know, it was a little aggressive, but but it worked to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, that's people do with the Elmo dolls enough. Let's move on. Uh, I was just recently reading, um, I don't know if people who are listening in know Game Storming. It's one of my seminal oh, I texts. Love it. <clears throat> love it. And there's actually a level to, there's an, there's an exercise in Game Storming, which is about what is the right altitude for this conversation, right? Do we need to be at the ground level? like in the grass, in the weeds, because the weeds is, you know, sometimes used as a pejorative term, but we got to be in the weeds sometimes. And sometimes we need to be up in the clouds, right? And weeds and clouds are used often as a way of saying we are not where we ought to be. And so having the conversation, you know, that, that, that weeds and clouds is a way of designing the conversation around what is the right what is the correct altitude for this conversation? And there was, so I, I've loved that tool and I've used that many times, but there was an aspect of that tool that I'd never noticed, which was actually getting everyone to make a paper airplane and then to fly it whenever they felt like we were at the wrong altitude. <laughs> and so having a signal mm. where, where people, you know, conversations are about feedback. So to have a feedback loop when people are like, oh my God, enough, let's move on, or I'm out, or, hey, we are in the weeds or the clouds again. We're not at the right altitude for this conversation. That is having an important feedback mechanism to make sure that the conversation is on track. So Great. important. Game storming for all of you listening. You can look, mm -hmm. check out gamestorming.com and all those things are out there. What was the what was the exercise? Altitude? Are we on the um, right Yeah, it's it's um I can find the link for it if if um no. if you want to link directly to it. The other, I mean, this really comes down to, Rich, this idea of like what is leadership. And this is one of the reasons why I've found my work going more and more into one-on-one -on -one leadership coaching. Because I used to have this idea that innovation inside of an organization could be achieved by everyone being more human-centered, right? And and I've definitely participated, as you know, in these large rollouts of like, let's get everyone having an innovation mindset, right? And let's get everyone the skills and techniques. Let's design conversations so that people are 
um, able to talk to customers more and and have the skills to to digest to transform uh, those insights into actions and innovations. Hooray! That'll be amazing. And what doesn't happen is the way decisions are made at the quote unquote highest levels of the organization don't change. And so I think at the end of the day, how conversations happen in the C-suite, in the C-suite minus one or minus two, like how decisions get made, how we actually deliberate, discuss, decide is the most important skill. And all of those courses that I used to teach around innovation skills, the people who were not generally in those sessions really needed to be in those sessions, right? And getting the senior leadership to actually understand how do I facilitate real deliberative dialogue so that we really discuss things and decide not from a knee-jerk reaction, but from thoughtful consideration. Like that isn't that skill does not come for free. It really needs to be cultivated. Cultivated. Good, good point, right? Because we, we're <laughs> really you. talking about the the culture of organizations and how they change, and it, it ties yeah. into you know explain an Eric Woods book about strategy activation around these conversations and yeah. leadership has to do them. Um, and it doesn't. It's not free. We have to learn how to do it, just like we have yeah. to learn how to do everything else. You've also created, as a help to this, uh, operating system for conversations. Yeah, I did. Nine elements, people, invitation, power, turn-taking, interface, cadence, threading, goals, error, and repair. Uh, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that, but I'm wondering, it's interesting you you have chosen a technical metaphor operating for system? conversations. Yeah. Operating system, which for something that's you know basically extremely human. Yes. I'm wondering why... So. Why did you do that? Is it just easier for us or leaders to understand it when you put it in that language? Um, you know, at the time, I think I was influenced by two things. One, like, as you know, I used to do a lot of work uh, way back in the day with the Luma system of innovation and design thinking. And I, I think people love grids. For, for good reason, like they help us think and they help us see. And when I was starting to think about what the levers of design were, like if we design conversations and I say we do, what are we designing when we design them? What are the things that we can actually grab hold of and shift? And I had done an exercise um, many times with teams where I say like, what do you think we can, what are conversations made of? And people will generate a lot of different answers. And some of those things like um, emotions, vibes, tone, some of those things we can control. You can try to control your tone. You can't control your emotions. I can't, at least. You can't control someone else's emotions. Can I control how many people are in the conversation? Sometimes. Does the, does the number of people in the conversation literally change the conversation? Yes, it does. Does the place where we have the conversation literally change the conversation, the interface for the conversation? It 100% does. For those of us who have tried to have an innovation um, workshop in a long boardroom that's glass on one side and felt on the other, or worse, brick on one side and <laughs> felt on the other, you know what I mean? The space literally does not facilitate the conversation you want to have. It does not have the capacity to hold that conversation. I did a workshop in a room that was literally eight times bigger and made of echoey concrete than it needed to be. Like that space created a really crappy environment for the conversation, right? So the, the space of the conversation, the number of people in the conversation, those to me, maybe because of my first degree as a physicist, and my second degree as an industrial designer, I just thought like, what is the mutually exclusive and collectively exhaustive <laughs> number of things that, are, that you can really, really grab hold on that are shiftable? So that was one part. And then the other was, I was actually influenced by um, my friend Aaron Dignan wrote a book called Brave New Work, and he had an OS canvas for um, responsive organizations. 
And I remember, I mean, this was probably like 2016, 2017, maybe that came out. And I was like, yeah, like it's really, you need to have a canvas. And the idea of what an operating system was resonated with me. And I, I, I play tested it, Rich. I, I talked to some people who were in the tech space and they were like, yeah, that really resonated. That idea of an operating system resonates with, um, not just engineers, but designers and leaders in some organizations. It's the idea of like, what's our operating system. I, I felt like as I tried to teach these elements in some of my facilitation workshops, I was like, I wanted people to have a, a, a visual that they could hold on to that say like, yeah, these are the things I want to be starting to look for and think about. Yeah. I think it's a, a really smart idea. Cause again, you're, you're talking about things that are very human and very emotional and very yeah. normal. And, and when we talk about things, when I talk about things in those ways, it doesn't always resonate with leadership. Yes. Now I, I, I've used something simpler most of the time now, because the nine elements are, there's so many of them and most people don't. And I say this in the book, some of them are easier to see and some of them are easier to shift. One of the things that I find I, um, you know, when I do coaching with leaders that comes up is they want to know how to, as an individual, how do I facilitate better conversations? And so the conversational leadership matrix that's much, much later in the book, it's a, it's a two by two. It is just one version of many two by twos where each leader has to ask themselves, what tensions am I navigating in my conversation? And so the one there later in the chapter is like asking versus telling and focusing on problems versus focusing on solutions. Uh, another way to think of it is, am I focusing on the past or the future? And uh, am I directing or am I coaching? And every every leader has to decide for themselves if what kind of conversations I'm trying to lead more of. I was just talking to somebody yesterday. He's like, look, I um, have trained my team to, he has a hard time being directive. When he finally does not get what he wants, he winds up being directive, but in a forceful way when it's an emergency, right? And so it's a situation where people are like, whoa, hey, what's going on? So he needs to get better at dialing it in and being clear about what's fixed, flexible, and free for him versus the ways in which he wants people to be creative, collaborative, or uh, unexpectedly innovative. And being clear on, can I coach in this moment? Is it an emergency? Do I need to focus on asking? What, how would you do this? How, what ways do you think that this problem can be solved? What approaches have you tried versus telling, it's gotta be done this way, it's gotta be done at this moment, it's gotta be done by, you know, by these criterion he's waiting too long to be directive and being directive. He's either being too open too early, not closed enough. And so he's, he's got to develop his own compass, right? So I, I often use that matrix in a simpler analogy now, or we all have our own conversation compass where we say, Oh, this is getting too hot or how oh, this conversation is going too slow and everyone else has got their own compass. But I think the, the leaders of an organization have, the um, responsibility to really be clear on the ways in which they want to lead a conversation and the ways in which they're trying to balance out asking versus telling, focusing on, well, what's the real problem versus like, well, what are we going to do about it? Everybody has that set point where it's like, well, how much research are we going to do before we start taking action? How much analysis are we going to do before we start coming up with prototypes? And everybody's got that set point, but it's a leader's job to be really clear on, uh, like Jeff Bezos said, 70%, right? We're going we're gonna to go from analysis to action when we're 70% sure. That's his compass setting. That's his um, thermostat setting on his conversational leadership compass on his matrix of conversational leadership. He says like, I'm not going to wait till we're a hundred percent analysis before we get to action. We're going to get to 70%. This guy who I've, I've been coaching, he's like, Hey, well, why don't you do it 
And then he's like, oh, I'm not getting what I need. Okay, do it. It's a very classic challenge of not knowing how to frame the problem well enough for the for the team. And that's 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 leadership work. Well, Daniel, it's interesting. You're getting into really self-insight work, right? Around leadership. And and even for designers, we're so good. We keep saying we do insight work around others. We're not really that good of understanding mm. our own no. insights. And I think, you know, you're talking about Jeff Bezos seems very clear on what he needs and what he can do. And but most yes. of us are not. We don't really take the time Correct. to actually reflect on what we are doing and how we're acting and what we're feeling. You have a couple of these uh, examples, which I love in the book. So one of the things you talk about, an idea for for self-insight, is this idea of turn-taking. Oh, yeah. Right? You either initiate, move forward, or you, you react positively or negatively, or you reflect, you listen and peel back, or you reframe, or you don't mm-hmm. do anything. Yeah. And I think we're not... So one thing is we're not really clear on what, how am I react what type of turn-taking am I doing? Yes. And the other, you talk about this level of listening, right? Mm-hmm. Scanning, looking for facts or empathetic, connecting or emergent, connecting mm-hmm. things. We have these patterns of action, but we, we're not really aware on how, how we, it's easier to, for me to see what you're doing, but I'm yeah. not very, you know, often we're not really taking the time to understand how we're doing. And so, this, so important. this self-insight work as part of our conversation work seems to me to be one of the most interesting things in the book. Thank you. I, I Well, so there's two aspects of this, Roger. I think one is um, you can design or invite better patterns, right? As a, as a leader or even just as, as somebody in the room, you can invite and say, well, what would it be like if we just heard really quickly from everyone on this? Right. Um, turn taking is usually done with somebody just just sort of speaks. We have unregulated turn taking. And so whoever feels most called in their operating system to uh, react, they raise their hands. And so I always joke, better turn taking patterns protect the introverts from the extroverts and it protects the extroverts from themselves. The extroverts don't know. And we could just, we don't have to label them introverts versus extroverts. We could just say like, what is your uh, average response time to a question? There are some people who like to just think out loud and there's nothing wrong with that, except it grounds, anchors everyone else's responses to what they just said. And so we all know this in good brainstorming, like you want everyone to think alone before we think together. And so we can we can we can invite better patterns but you are 100% right rich we have to know what our own habitual approaches are because a lot of conversations especially one-on-one conversations are undesigned or unregulated and so we just have to understand like oh i want to respond well maybe i should ask a little bit more and to me it also comes down to the physics of the thing because we can think at about 4000 words per minute uh, it's really hard to measure it. Scientists and various researchers have tried to measure it, but it's certainly much faster than, at least an order of magnitude faster than the rate in which we can speak. So we can only speak at about 125 words per minute. It takes us around, what is it, 600 milliseconds to formulate a response. But generally speaking, it's viewed as rude amounts of dead air to wait more than two or 300 milliseconds to respond to somebody after they stop talking. And so, right. And so we are generally responding based on what we think someone is going to say by the time there may be two thirds of the way through their phrase. We're really good at, trying to guess what people are feeling and what they're going to say because it is a survival skill as a human being, right? It's what we had to do in our family systems. It's what we do in groups to try and guess what people are feeling and thinking and what they're going to say. And I know, I, I know where you're going. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> I'm just going to head you off the pass. You're wrong, right? <laughs> we do this right all the time. It's much harder to let somebody finish and say, tell me more about that. I heard you say this, this, and this. Tell me more. Because 
the odds are we did not hear, in fact, 100% odds, 100% odds, listeners, 100% odds, you did not hear everything they wanted to say or could say about it. And you only heard 125 words per minute, whereas they've got thousands of words per minute on their thinking about it. And if you want to respond to their worst first draft of their thoughts, you know, this is a straw man versus iron man uh, argumentation style. And for those who don't know, straw man is like you make a bad version of your opponent's argument and then knock it to pieces because it's straw. Instead, uh, make an iron person and try to make sure that you really understand their argument and all the strengths of it. Oh, it sounds like this is important and that's important to you. And 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 if this this is the central component, right? Tell me more about that. Get them to tell them tell you everything. Um, these are ways to redesign our conversations. I think this is why I, I wrote an article about the uh, the listening triangle. I'd heard a, a Harvard Business Review article where they mentioned the idea of a listening triangle. They did not illustrate it. I drew my own version of the listening triangle where you listen, you ask, you listen, you then re-ask and then listen again. So active listening is just sort of like, oh, I heard you say this. Is that right? And they go, yes. And then you can move on. But the the listening triangle is going deeper and deeper and deeper. You just you can just go infinite loops on the listening triangle until you really, really understand someone. And that is such a powerful way to shift a conversation. And you're it it requires patience. It requires self-control. It requires curiosity. It requires compassion. And so the self-work required for conversation innovation is not just understanding yourself, but the willingness to understand another person, the patience with your own feelings, the willingness to slow down. It does not come for free. It is it is work. I didn't think I was going to write a whole chapter on designing the conversations with ourselves. And then I realized like it's a thing. We are talking to ourselves all the time. And nine times out of nine, the conversations that we're having with ourselves are driving what we decide to do with other people. And so there's a lot of layers of self-work that go into transforming our conversations for sure. So Daniel, you're reminding me of a conversation I had tw over 20 years ago with a former colleague, Buffy mm -hmm. Kelly, who's this amazing creative base in North Carolina now. And she, she described, we said she was in a creative meeting and we said, how did it go? She said, well, you know, there were six to 10 people in the meeting. I can't remember how much. And everyone was listening, as they were listening to someone talk, everyone had a thought bubble above their head, filling it with the th next things they were going to say. And no one was actually listening to anything anyone said. And it describes pretty well what you're talking about of this, you know, we were already forming an answer yeah. before we've actually listened. But I, I, the thing that's really jumping out and the, that resonates with me in, in a lot of this is this whole idea of slowing down. Mm-hmm. Letting it be silent. You don't have to fill the space. We have an, uh, we have feel it's uncomfortable yes. to fill the space. You gave an example. Uh, I've experienced it many times in interviewing. Of sometimes we don't. We mm -hmm. let the silence go a beat or two to to see what's going to happen. And we we have this discomfort with silence, which is like we've got to fill this. And that to me it resonates this idea of how do we slow sometimes these conversations they go so fast that we can't really grab them or we need to because they're off and running. So mm. this idea of slowness is one thing. The other thing that's kind of popping out is I like this idea of, you know, of showing how to do things differently rather than assuming that we say these things that we'll be able to remember them. So mm. the listening triangle or the turn taking. You know, you talk about clarity, you know, if we could, if we'd be more transparent about, mm. let's pay attention to these things. And it's easier to call it out when we see them yes. than when we don't. Yes. And to me, that's like, you know, we see, you see, you say, we see speaking where listening looks like doing nothing. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing is like, how do we make this kind of listening of not responding have as high value as actually talking? Mm. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, you're very well known for all of your work on facilitation. Mm. You know, your facilitation blog posts and your workshops and very inspiring to all of us who facilitate lots of things, I have to tell you, and it's great stuff. 
So how does facilitation play into this conversation design? Is mm. it the same thing? Is it a little different? Oh, wow. Well, so I'll, I'll take both of those in turn, I think. I'm, um, the first question was, help, help, me, help me put it together. I was slow, so slowed down, I, I lost it. There, the, the question of like, we have this kind of a meeting where everyone's got thought bubbles and we really want to slow down the conversation and how do we really do it? Is that, is that the, that was, yeah, that was question number one. So part of that, you know, you mentioned there's a diagram in the book um, where, you know, we can react or we can reframe or we can, um, we can, uh, boy, I should, I should know my own diagram, but um, I'm, the, the, the important difference is I think we can either react or hold. I think that just that, just that one line through the middle of the diagram where, where we can initiate the conversation, we can react to what somebody else has said, or we can hold space. And so in every moment, there is a choice of like, I can just change the conversation. I could have answered something totally different, right? You initiated by saying like, here's the thing I want to know. And I'm here, I'm reacting. Now I tried to hold some space to say like, oh, well, let's, what's the right answer? Like, but very often we're just going straight to react and there's no holding of space. And you talked about the self-work for transforming conversations. At the end of the day, our willingness to have spaciousness and to feel that discomfort has value. However, we can design the conversation. We can say to everyone, hey, there will be no crosstalk. Uh, or after somebody is done finishing, we won't respond. Right. So we can institute rules. And I think the big difference between facilitation and conversation design is um, facilitation, this idea of like, oh, I'm going to make this conversation easier for these people to have. Right. Often I find that people don't have an approach for people to discuss an individual topic. They'll say, okay, so here are the four agenda items. We're going to talk about topic A, B, C, then D, and then we'll get to conclusion X, right? But they don't actually have a process, an approach mm. to, well, how are you going to have people talk about A? Oh, well, we'll just talk about it. Oh, okay, great. Sure. What are you going to do when somebody is over talking or disengaged? Oh, well, I'll just call them out. Oh, okay, great. Sure. Um, how are you going to make sure that topic A closes so that, because topic B kind of requires topic A to be aligned. So how are you going to make sure that you get to a good conclusion on A so that you can move into B? Oh, well, we'll just, I don't know. I think we'll just, we'll just know when we're there, Right. Oh, well, how much time should you use? Well, I don't really know. And so to me, that is, there's a lot of undesigned interactions there where you like, well, okay, how many people are there in the room? Oh, 80. Okay, cool. Right. Well, how are you going to 80 people's opinions down to one conclusion? Oh, I don't know. Well, is, is it, is it, is that, that's a hard close. Like, can we get from 80 to like five key you know, options and we can make five teams around five options for what B could be. And that to me is starting to get down into the design of the conversation where I have a clear approach to how the conversation is going to go. Not what the, con not what the conclusions are going to be, but a reasonable supposition for how I'm going to crunch down the thinking of 10, 15 people or even five people into one conclusion, how much space and time am I, am I going to give to opening, exploring, and closing? Right, that to me is a facilitation. Can just seem like, well, I'm just going to stand in front of the room and say, Rich, what do you think? Tom, how about you? Susie, great. Okay, like that's moderation. I think sometimes facilitation can get confused with moderation and just being the moderator of like, whoa, 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 we haven't heard from everybody yet. Whereas conversation design to me is a thoughtful approach to getting there. And you look at the way the design sprint community has had really amazing, wonderful dialogues about how deep the rabbit hole goes or how do you get to something that's worth testing in five, in four days. 
you do it through really thoughtful design of the conversation. Um, I don't know if that begins to answer. Oh, oh, there was one other piece that I wanted to hit on, which is like a framework is designing a conversation. Like we're all living a metaphor. Like we all have our own mental model for what a conversation is of what a meeting is and a facilitator or a conversation designer, a leader, just by saying, Hey, we're going to open and then explore and then close. And we're not going to close before we open and we're not going to open and close at the same time is designing the conversation because show of hands, everybody in podcast land, if you've been at a meeting where people were uh, generating ideas at the same time that they were trying to debate or eliminate ideas, it's soul crushing. It's hard. Um, it's emotionally taxing. And so just saying to everyone, we're going to diverge and then converge. We're going to work with the physics of conversations instead of against it. And everyone goes, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like I can play by those rules because those rules make sense. They, they, I will align my behavior ideally with um, what you're proposing. Now, then does the conversation designer, the facilitator, the leader, are they the enforcer of those rules or can the group enforce those rules? Hey, Rich, I know that that you have some concerns about option A, but we did talk about diverging before converging. So let's put your concerns in the parking lot and let's keep coming up with options. It's very basic behavior, but it's profoundly challenging and profoundly impactful to make sure that we are designing the conversation according to the way I would think of it, natural law principles that actually work with human psychology and group dynamics. And so that may be also the big difference between conversation design and, you know, facilitation. Facilitation just comes from the word to make easier, facile, attention. I'm going to make this conversation more facile, more easy. Whereas to me, the good design works with good design principles, good human psychological principles, good, I totally mispronounced that, good human design psychological principles, good human factors analysis. How big is someone's hand? How many things can people hold in their heads? Are we going to use visuals? Can we write? Can we draw together? All of those things work with human psychology rather than against it. I don't think facilitation necessarily assumes all of those components. Those, those would, I think, be the big difference between using design in the word. To me, design is in accord with good thinking, whereas facilitation just means on the face, making it simple. I find that interesting. My take on facilitation, good facilitation is really hard to do. It's yes. really hard to do something simple. It's also good facilitation also means there it's there are rules, there are clarity, you open sure. up, but you don't have control. Mm. And good facilitation is, is also paying attention to and taking care of the human emotions that bubble up into these, yeah. you know, unknown things. And to me, the, the, the connection that I loved was it's hard to be a good facilitator, but you can take those same rules, those same experiences and apply them to just conversations. Yes. Because we train people to be good facilitators. We don't really train people to be good conversational designers. And to me, it's like, <laughs> but a group conversation is, is a conversation, right? Yes. Like an is. all hands is a conversation. And so leading or facilitating or structuring, I, you could make those all synonymous using good principles to guide all of those conversations is worth doing. I think, I think that's great advice. The, the idea of principles you write Leading change means being able to work with small, medium, large, and extra large conversations to make a real change in the world, mm. which we all want to do. We say we want to do this. You will eventually need to navigate this range of conversations. Yeah. So you can't change without designing better conversations. I, I agree with that statement that I, <laughs> that I wrote. I mean, we say... I, I've definitely worked with leaders who are like, oh, I'm not good at storytelling. Like I, I don't know how to be in those larger, you know, as a, as an organization grows. Now, if you're talking about a large organization, the person who generally comes into that organization as the leader will have those skills. They should have those skills. 
right? Somebody who can get in front of an all hands meeting and make people feel something, make people um, think about something differently, right? That is the one to many conversational skill, the ability to um, hold that kind of space for people to absorb something new. But we've also seen that, and we talked about this a couple of times, one-to-many conversations are not always the most effective approach. And so that to me is where I think, sure, they can hire you or me to help them run an innovation sprint where they're going to get a whole bunch of people together. But honestly, I think that um, the most powerful redesigns of conversations and the most interesting innovation come from entrepreneurs Right, the people inside of the organization who really understand all the players and who can shift how the conversations happen because of a deep understanding and a deep empathy. And so to me, the ability to navigate and host and facilitate and design all of those conversations is the work of change. Who should we get together for this conversation? Who should be in the next conversation? Who should we be pitching? Who should we be trying to... Um, uh, massage into participation, who should see things when they're at stage three, all of that is conversation design. It's community organizing, right? It's community organizing. And that is hosting, that's facilitation, or by another word, conversation design. It's, it's, I think it is what leadership is. Great. I think that's a great way to end this <laughs> podcast. A lot for our, our listeners to to consider. And yeah. uh, Daniel, it's been really fun chatting with you. Very inspiring to hear this. And, Thank uh, you, Rich. It's easy to say it is work to do, right? It, like you said, it's real work. And so I, I hope everyone who's listening decides to take up the work to design more thoughtful, more human, more uh, engaged, more empowering, more transformational conversations, because it's what the world needs. Couldn't agree more. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Innovation Explorers, Hello Future's English podcast that dives into the challenges and rewards of innovation. You've just heard a chat with Daniel Stillman discussing the art of designing conversations that lead to innovation and transformation. We'll post a link to Daniel's book, Good Talk, on our site. If you want to chat in person, either in real life or virtually, you can book a fik, as we say in Sweden, with me anytime. This is Rich Nadwarny from Hello Future. See you next time.